When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. Today, we have Regan Robinson. She is a futurist, an advisor, an investor and the creator of Sketching the Future series. And we are going to get into what all of that means. Hi, Regan. How are you? Hi, JJ, neighbor. I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm good. So good to see your face. I haven't you seen it in the well. neighborhood, so it's good to see you. I know, I know. I was like, should I come over? Or <laughs> <laughs> We would just be looking at each other with computers. Right. Uh, I'm getting a lot of feedback. All right, so let's start with futurist. What is a futurist? Yeah, I, that's a great um, question and one I get a lot. So futurists uh, explore predictions and possibilities about the future and really how those possibilities emerge from the present. But just to say it super simply, futurists could also be called trend spotters or forecasters. Now, some futurists would probably say, never never shall you call me a, a trend spotter or a forecaster, but to keep it simplistic, that's kind of what I say. And I think, you know, it took me a long time to really realize I was a futurist and embrace the title because I thought, well, you know, I didn't study this. I didn't work for any of the big think tanks. But what I eventually realized is I had actually been doing it all along as a strategist leading business transformation and innovation efforts. And so futurists use what's called um, for strategic foresight. And they use this capability to look ahead and provide insight into what might happen in the future. Uh, It usually involves a lot of quantitative data and qualitative data, and it usually relies on sort of slower, rational, and logical thinking. And while I absolutely think there is an important place for that, um, where I've sort of been operating in certainly the last few years is actually really relying more on your intuition. And so I've developed a capability that I actually call um, intuitive foresight, which is a little bit of a different way to approach approach how you can start to articulate what you see in the future, basically. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Amazing. So (laughs) let's talk a little bit more about what that means. You know, you were saying with futurism, um, you're doing strategy, like that word gets 
thrown around a lot, strategy, right? And there's different kinds of strategy. There's business strategy, there's brand strategy, there's marketing strategy, there's all different. So what kind of strategy are you talking about? You know, I mean, typically I'm talking about the big strategy. So that is usually corporate strategy or or business strategy. Um, But it is, you know, this type, this capability is actually applicable to branding and marketing because part of what you do is you are looking at what's happening in culture. You're looking at what consumers are doing. So there's, there's basically a bunch of forces, if you will, and what, and um, trends and other signals of emerging change, if you will, um, that you are seeing, spotting, and then most importantly, sensing, which is actually the interpretation of that, and really trying to decide what does that mean for me? That could mean what does this mean for my company and its five to 10 year growth strategy? It could be for an individual, a person, like I'm a thought leader, and I'm looking to elevate my um, thought leadership. Um, I have a vision that I want to sell to investors. Um, and so this type of capability actually is is really beneficial for all of those things. So whether it's a company strategy or your career strategy or even your, your life strategy, because part of how I differ a little bit in terms of your typical futurist. Well, there's a lot of ways. I, I always seem to color color outside the lines a bit. Typically, futurists tend to be very focused and specialized. And I always say I'm the generalist futurist. Right. <laughs> you know, futurists also tend to really focus on technology as sort of the underpinning. And while, you know, I absolutely believe that technology is an important part of the equation, I'm actually, I'm actually more interested in some other things. So how I sort of develop my futurism, if you, is, if you will, is I really allow my values, my beliefs, and my curiosities really dictate what I explore. Um, so, for example, right now, it's health and wellness. Well, that's always there. And mental health, the future of cities, uh, Web3, um, individualism versus collectivism, like that's kind of a smattering of sort of longevity. That's like a smattering of like big things all the way down to like little things kind of happening. But that's really dictated by what I'm curious about and what I'm passionate about. And then my views are really collated by a collision between how the world is changing and how, you know, our human needs fundamentally are changing. So I'm always on the lookout for how uh, mindset, market, and cultural shifts, these emerging forces can be connected and intersected in unexpected and surprising ways, and then how they could unlock new ways to serve those fundamental needs for the future world that we are stepping into. And so when I talk about intuitive foresight, it's how can we sort of start to train ourselves because this is a, this is a, I call it a capacity as opposed to a capability. Because mm-hmm. I almost feels different. Yeah, I'm like I make these like like I'm capacity building, not capability <laughs> building. But I do believe, and I, I personally living this experience every day because I sort of go through the world and see things in a bit of a different way. And I think you're you're like this yourself very much. And I'm sort of always seeing and sensing and I'm paying particular attention to those behavioral changes. And that's why I don't focus so much on trends. I mean, they're a part of it, but I don't focus on the data, I guess, but more on 
connecting the dots and then listening to aspirations, um, looking at those aspirations, so especially my own aspirations or jobs to be done, if you may remember from our work together. Yeah. Um, to really kind of zoom in and zoom out and, and play with ideas around what could be in the future um, while also allowing intuition to be my guide. So the first 15 years of my career, I was a very different animal and I was very rooted in data and research and I got to see the information and I have to have 270 slides of like, okay, here's the landscape. I mean, I'm not, not even kidding. Right. Um, and I have evolved into a totally different way of working in terms of how I leverage my intuition um, and sort of cultivate this foresight capacity and use that to inform strategies of all different types. So, okay, let's go back a little bit. Let's say, where did you come Like, what in- informed where you are now? And then oh. let's get into, like, then ta- some tactical applicability, because it's all really up here, right? And I think people really want to understand, like, what it really means. And talk about what you built in, um, you know, your new creation that you have done. So we'll get more into that. But so start a little bit about where you came from. Sure. So I've led uh, strategy, innovation, and business transformation at organizations large and small over the last 20 years. So my background spans everything from working at global media companies such as Vice Media. I've led multi-million dollar books of business at award-winning digital agencies. Um, I was a chief growth officer at a private investment advisory firms. I've launched uh, numerous startups, one of which is Salento Organic Tequila, which I hope you've had the chance to try by this point. Um, And I really spent the first 15 years of my career mostly working in corporate environments or fast-moving sort of innovative cultures in tech. Um, I was a type A overachieving executive in a male-dominated or several male-dominated companies, which I know um, resonates with you. I was- It does. does, Right? (laughs) As probably everyone else listening here. Right, exactly. I was the only one in the room and I was often the youngest, which by the way, as I reflect on that, being in that period in my life, I thought I was the only one in this position. Now, this was a long time ago before podcasting and, you know, everything that we have access to. But I remember being in Chicago and that was sort of towards the end of before I made the pivot and just being like, gosh, I'm the only person in this position. But regardless, Tess McGill from Working Girl was my hero. Oh my God. <laughs> Whose wasn't uh, got a bod right? for business and a mind for business and a bod for Right, sport. right, which doesn't age very well these days. <laughs> uh, but um, that's who I really was. And then about seven years ago, a major and unexpected event occurred in my life. My mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and that really caused me to stop and really evaluate everything it threw into question how I lived and worked um, and really started the course for the journey that I'm on today. So I I began defining my own work-life philosophy built on um, the cornerstones of well-being, sustainable capacity building, imagination, and intuition. So and since then, I've really become a champion for these things. What became clear to me then and is is even clearer now in this sort of post-pandemic era, I guess we call it that, um, is how we work and how we make money doesn't work in a modern context for a lot of people um, that were wasting finite things like time, money, and human potential. And it drives me absolutely insane. Yeah. (laughs) 
And so in 2018, I made the significant shift of focusing on collaborating with female founders and C-suite executives at mission-driven early to growth stage startups and really shaping how they think about identify and drive that long-term growth, which is what I'd always been doing. I just went from the male, the male environment to doing it exclusively with women. Uh, and then in 2021, I had sort of one of those defining moments that really kind of set me on the trajectory of where I am today, where I really realized that the change I want to see won't happen um, within these systems, within the same systems I'm trying to change and with the same roles that I've traditionally held. So whether that was a full-time employee, an advisor, a consultant, you name it. And so I had sort of a, a triggering event. Actually, this was shortly before you and I were introduced yeah. uh, by Chana Ewing, the brilliant founder of Genie, where I was having a conversation um, with the CEO of a growth stage startup about my consulting offerings. She was interested in hiring me and she said, love what you're doing, i.e. long-term stuff, long-term growth, not yeah. it. Um, I see the value in it. I need it. I want it. But we're about to raise a ton of money. And I they'd already raised a bunch. And I just don't have time for thinking about the long term, even though I realize that if I don't, we may be out of business in a few years. Yeah. And that just, it gobsmacked me. And I had had several conversations with leaders from other quite prominent startups that were eerily similar to that. And so it was really clear to me that helping leaders create the space for emergence and getting them out of this day-to-day and thinking about the long-term was going to require different solutions. And this is what you and I talked a lot about um, when we first started having conversations. And so, you know, what I've learned about growth and long-term thinking over the years is there's a lot of forces working against us. (laughs) Um, And I kind of put them in three areas. So there's the, the capacity area. There are capability gaps and those can be addressed. And, you know, I do think that we need radically new ways to do this. And that's a part of what I'm trying to reimagine right now, which we'll get into. Um, There's the second area, which are are mindsets. So there are emotions that get in the way and roadblocks to sort of this future mindedness way of thinking. I love to say busyness is the new stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Our caveman lizard brain gets in the way. There are cognitive biases that get in the way from future mindedness. And on top of that, not related, but you know, there are incentive structures that get in the way. So if I'm rewarded on an annual basis with a bonus, why would I care about a five-year plan, for example? And then finally, the third thing I think is many of the approaches to growth and innovation, they just don't work anymore. COVID threw all that out the window. Market volatility means you've got to continuously incorporate new information um, and make meaning of it. So the seeing and sensing and make decisions in an entirely different way than even probably uh, five years ago. Like the mm-hmm. world is just. But give an example. What do you mean by that? Like, so, like tactile examples, because my brain actually, I don't really think like that. I need the examples. You know what I mean? So sure. all this stuff sounds like amazing, but like, like give like an actual example. This company did this, used to do this. Now it has to do this. If you can. For, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, I, you know, I think in terms of approaches to, to growth and innovation and sort of the amount of information that's coming at us, you know, if I look at it through the lens of trend spotting and things like that, it, there is a lot of information out there. So I'm just talking about the individual, right? Yeah. 
And there are a lot of companies out there that do this, right? They're experts at it. Um, and so first, the first sort of point of friction, I would say, is, is that, you know, smaller companies, unless you're a corporation, a lot of these, most companies can't afford to pay six figures to, to build out a strategic foresight capability or have access to this information. So there's, there's that component of it. But I also just think from a practicality perspective, people are lacking, you know, no one has the time to sit and evaluate tons of information, right? And then go back and, you know, how does this fit into my 300 page strategy and my five year, it's just like, that sort of way of working, I just, I just don't feel works anymore. Unless maybe if you're a huge corporation, that that might be okay. But I think most of us who are solopreneurs, or you know, in fast moving markets, or who are in startups, like that, that just doesn't work. And so part of what I'm trying to do with this this quest that I'm on is, and it's very much evolving in real time always, is is how can I create things that address the capability gaps. And, and that is sort of using my expertise and sort of my things that I, I, my tips and tricks and things that I do, which we'll get into. And then there's the aspects around sort of the mental stuff, which I've done my own growth work to sort of address those, but that's one component. And then how can I work with other women to sort of figure out, okay, well, how can we actually how can we start to see and sense in a, in a way that really relies more on our intuition rather than being buried in data and facts and all of that? Now, right. there's yeah. a time and a place for that kind of stuff. And it depends on what you're trying to do, right? So context matters. If you're trying to figure out a paid marketing, you know, X, Y, Z, like that's, that's a whole different ball game. But, what, you know, the world that I live in, the world of what could be long-term, future-forward, imaginative exploration spaces is, you know, that sort of information I don't think is, is going to be the competitive edge that you need. I actually think learning how to harness your imagination and intuition is, is very powerful. Well, I mean, it's bigger vision too, right? Absolutely. Right. Right. All right. So take us through what this, um, the sketching the future series, take us through sketching the future series and what you created and how it can help the small businesses and women led businesses that are listening to this podcast. For sure. For sure. So um, the sketching the future series is, is a portfolio of offerings. I call them done with you experiences because there isn't yet quite a name or a word invented for it yet. Uh, this is also what happens when you, you tend to be ahead of everybody else. It's like, I don't know what to call this, but it's specially calibrated for busy, visionary female founders and C-suite executives. So women such as yourself to really um, achieve two things. So one is elevate the brilliance by cultivating and harnessing your imagination and your intuition. And then two, empowering said brilliant women with the proprietary frameworks, um, approaches and tools so that you can begin to build the capacity to keep doing this for yourself again and again and again. So it creates like an execution plan. Um, I would say it's less of a plan and more of a, okay, here is an approach here are a couple high level steps, a framework for how you can approach this process 
Mm-hmm. Yet, because you are another brilliant woman, you can take these ingredients and make maybe make a little bit of a different souffle, right? Right. <laughs> it's like it's it's a little. Oh, there are fundamental principles involved, but at the end of the day, you know, it does lead. You are able to sort of take these things and and make your own, if you will. It's not so subscriptive that it's like, okay, here's a very specific plan. Right. So it's, it's not like, yes, but it's like a visionary plan for where you can go and take your business five years from now. Correct. Or whatever sort of time. Ways that you aren't thinking other than just sell to more people. Correct. Correct. This is about you know, again, and the time horizon is is very contextualized in terms of who who the person is. But this experience that I take you through, and and it's now we're now doing it co collaboratively with other women. Is is all right? So you're ready to take the next step. You know, whether it's you want to design or align a future forward and inspiring company strategy. You want a well articulated and compelling investment pitch. You want a different, differentiated and bold personal brand. And so we go through this journey where you're using faster, instinctive and emotional thinking um, to really do three things. So one, what we do is we go through and we elevate and hone your voice, your perspective on the future. So what is it that you specifically, you, JJ, what is it that you see? And you probably remember from our experience Yes, I went through this with Regan. So just FYI, (laughs) I just want everybody to fully understand because it's very, you know, esoteric, right? And, and sometimes it's very difficult to grasp exactly the necessity and understanding, you know, what this can do for your business in a very short period of time versus constantly going, I just need to make some time for myself, you know, to do this. Yeah. 100%, 100%. So you've gone through and sort of elevated and honed and we work together to kind of help you get there. I have, uh, as a part of the proprietary methodology, I have prompts and ways to sort of get you where you need to go, which is obviously very helpful. And now importantly, at this stage, you're also exposed to different perspectives from myself and your peers to really get outside of what you already know and uncover any blind spots. So it's funny, I was kind of walking down memory lane to some of our initial sessions. Gosh, that was probably November of of last year and and sort of our the mashup sessions that we were doing and you know while it was just you and I one on one and now I'm doing them in they're still intimate settings but with multiple women who are from you know we're all peers we're strategic thought partners right which is really important right we're all equals this is reciprocity but we're all sort of sharing what right. our perspectives are. And if you're coming from different industries or backgrounds or what have you, it's almost like, I look at it as like you're, you're crowdsourcing futurism, right? Yeah. You're, crowds, you're getting a bunch of really smart women in the room who have all these different views. And, and now we're starting to kind of share. And it's, you know, especially when you're talking about your view in the future, even as a futurist, it's scary to put that out there. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, it's not easy. And so, you know, this is sort of a safe space to play. Um, And so the second thing that we do is we really make meaning and prioritize what you see. Um, You know, simplification on this front is not easy. And that's, it's interesting. That's some of the feedback that I got from the latest cohort that I just completed in July around how helpful this was. 
um, the simplification act of like, okay, I have maybe 20 different, you know, views or hypotheses about what the future could be. So one of my favorites right now is I'm calling it the younger old will be the drivers of economic and social vitality for the next which young people are like, what? Um, so that could be a potential hypothesis, right? But maybe you have 20 of those and they aren't necessarily connected or make sense. Like it's not really, it's just a bunch of like sentences on a page. And so what we do through um, a series of prompts is, is you start to make meaning of that. Like what are the connections that I'm actually seeing? Like what is actually really sort of underneath this and what is kind of driving and underpinning this? And then how can I, simplify what I'm saying so that I can start to think about how do I start to share this? And so the last thing that we do is then we create and play with the storyline. So then you can really take that, that next step. And so we've taken your hypotheses and we translate it into what I call your views of the world, which you may remember. And then that is really your, your script, if you will, um, for how you can start to go out into the world and, and start sharing those stories in whatever way makes sense, whether that's, you know, I need to inspire my team. I need to, okay, wow. Like now I really am clear on what I think the future could be. Um, and I need to revisit my strategy because there were things that I learned and I uncovered in this process that I either didn't realize was important to me or I wasn't thinking about because I, you know, I had a blind spot to it and I'm not really looking in that, that area. Um, it's not top of mind, but like, oh my gosh, through this, these conversations and provocations, I realized I, I got to be honest, even though I, I probably don't like it, which is, is something that I've noticed has been happening to women who have been going through this. Um, and so it's important to kind of, you know, identify those things. But, you know, at the end of the day, you will have a series of views stories, perspectives that then you can start using. And the idea behind this is, again, you know, as you mentioned, this is like, it is fast because you have to keep doing this. It never, the work never stops. Right. <laughs> it never ends. <laughs> so how long is the whole process if somebody's taking you through? Yep. So it made some evolution since you and I did it together. I was like, I laugh and like, when I did it with you, it was like 11 weeks. <laughs> And then the next round I did was the group that I did was, I think, seven weeks. So I was like, that's improvement. And now uh, this next one that I'm preparing to launch at the end of October um, is actually five weeks. So, and I'm, I'm continuing to evolve it, tweak it, and add some elements. And so the sort of the biggest component that I'm excited slash scared about, we'll see how this goes. Is, is really the integration of some asynchronous work. So using video and a technology to actually deliver some of the, if you want to call it education, if you will, um, or some of the frameworking. Some, so this is my intellectual property. This is sort of like how I think. So some of those components. And then I've married it with more of a hybrid experience where, you know, then you do get some of that one-on-one time with me at certain moments in the journey and then now we have the um, group moments the group live moments where those are sort of the play the safe play spaces to share play and experiment a bit more so five weeks still now all virtual too by the way with, when you and I did it all in person that yeah. is, 
of itself was a big shift. And then how much time commitment is, is it from the fa- each founder? Yep. So for the latest iteration, my fast track version, 10, 15 hours total. And that's inclusive of all the live work we do together. So there's about, I think it's about three and a half, four hours of quote live work together. And then the rest of that is when, you know, you're actually either consuming the video, there's maybe 40 minutes of video throughout the entire journey broken out into smaller bits. And then the biggest chunk of it is obviously you doing the work, right? Because this is the time, you, you know, you're creating, you're investing in yourself and you're, you've made this, you realize this is a huge priority because you need to do X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, you're going to create the space and have the accountability by working with me and these other incredible women that you want to benefit from their perspective of, again, it's sort of like crowdsourcing other views instead of spending all this time researching and doing all of that, like, let's, let's get it done here. And let's, let's be exposed to things we weren't thinking about. And, you know, doing it, and still very light and fast, and, you know, sometimes uncomfortable way. Because right. I also force you, <laughs> force you to like, you don't have time, you, you know, there's only so much time to do this. So you can't go super deep or like, do all this stuff, which again, I'm guilty party this I am like the prime example. That's how I would would have done it in the past. And it is even still today, as I continue to evolve my views on the future, I have to stop myself of like, okay, don't go back into type A old Regan who has has to spend, you know, all this time doing this, you know, use your intuition, you know, your stuff, talk to other smart women and go like take some action. Right. And actually just do it. Right. Exactly. All right. So in five weeks and 10 to 15 hours, you Mm -hmm. can work with you to help build the future of your company in like five years from now, what your vision and what you should be looking toward with some, I don't want to say actionable, but like some guidelines to help you along the way to keep you on track. Right. Did I just synthesize that? And I think that's great. Yeah. That's a great way to articulate it. It's, you know, it's about identifying what those opportunity sets are. And again, depending on who, who you are or what the company is, it could be big O of like, okay, this is like a multi-market, you know, you know, market creating type of thing. Or it could be, you know, for, for someone who's a solopreneur, listen, like it'll, you'll still start seeing white spaces and adjacencies and like, okay, what, how can I start? I, now I see the landscape. I've sketched it out for myself. What does this mean for me? And then you can start to move to the next phase of where, you know, you need to go in this particular example of like, okay, well, so how do I take that and start taking steps towards that? Now we don't address that in this version or this sort of first part of it. Obviously I'm working on other stuff that will, and what I took you through, we actually went a little further in the journey, but nonetheless, you are prepared. You have done what you need to do to confidently say, okay, I feel like I've, I've looked, I've assessed in this unique and fast way and I feel good about and I'm excited um it's coming from me it's rooted in me and I think that's also what's so important to double click under is futurist futurism all of this stuff is almost presented like it's objective and I think it's baloney I think it's all it's subjective and part of what 
my process does is it owns that. Like there's power in that. I believe that we can create the futures that we want and the future and the world that we want to see. And so, you know, there's something very powerful and sort of mind shifting about feeling like, okay, I now can own what I actually want to say. I mean, it's, I had lunch recently or coffee actually with another futurist. And, you know, we were and talking sort of about her, you know, point of view on the future of, of XYZ. And it even like occurred to me, I'm like, there's like two futurists hanging out. And like, it wasn't very specific. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think women, this is where maybe women versus men, if you will, uh, you know, women get dinged on vision. There's tons of research that backs this up. Right. Because we're lacking the specificity, the details, right? And so, you know, it's one thing to say something very big and bold, but then what does that mean at like the 5,000 foot level? What does that yeah. mean at like the 3,000 foot level? And so this is the, the start of that. It's not the end solution, but like I'm done, I'm good to go, I'm set. Because you have to keep working it. I'm still working on it. Okay, well, you have um, to constantly. I mean, that that's... That's one of the things that you learn the older you get is you never you never stop working, you never stop learning and you never stop striving for it. Because ultimately, you know, what I have in common with most of, if not all of my, well, all of my clients, and I'm sure the majority of the li- my listeners is we all want women to be equal. So how are we working toward doing that, right? In the yes. future. And we can see it slowly chipping away, but let's fast forward to five years. What does it look like that? And how much yeah. different will it be? You know, yeah. and if we have that main goal of, you know, equality to women, in what ways do we need to make changes and continue to work toward those goals? Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I mean, I can, so I can give you a real world example around, how what I'm talking about is actually very powerful. So part of my secret sauce, if you will, I call it the kaleidoscope view, which you remember me saying that a long time ago, is one of the things that I really look for, and I think I mentioned this earlier on in our conversation, is paradigm shift, okay? So a paradigm shift is a fundamental shift in the way of looking at the world. It is a change in a perspective of the fact. So this is different than trends because trends are based on data. They can be measured. And I I say paradigm shifts reside in the mind. And so an example of an entrepreneur who has harnessed paradigm, the paradigm shifts that she and her team saw with great success is what Rihanna has done with Savage and Fenty, her lingerie brand. So there were three paradigm shifts that became part of their strategy that really resulted in this, what was an upstart brand. Now, granted, obviously she had a huge following. I'm sure she had access to money. Like we're not, you know, all things are not necessarily equal in her case. But nonetheless, she has usurped Victoria's Secret in a record amount of time, which is phenomenal. And here's what was happening. So on the consumer side, there was the transformation of consumers wanting to shop online versus in-store. And in lingerie, that was particularly game-changing. And so Fenty took note of that and thought, okay, well, this is something we're seeing and we think is interesting. There was a change from a cultural perspective. So the shift from how um, consumers wanted to be spoken to, so the beauty, more of an inclusive beauty point of view versus what Victoria's Secret had, which is very strict, 
you got to be a size zero, right? Yeah. Which is actually a very male-centric vision of beauty. They noticed this happening within the culture. And then on top of that, within the industry, there was a move from uh, to centralized fulfillment from a distributed fulfillment model, which began allowing companies to turn inventory faster and do a lot of things on the back end that was very advantageous for Fenty. And so basically what her and her leadership team realized was, is, hey, there's these, there's these industry shifts happening. There are these cultural shifts happening and there are changes in the mindset of people. How can we create something? How can we leave these, what are maybe disparate or unconnected dots together? How can we, how can we leave something together and really maximize for that, that to our advantage? And it's clear. I mean, the proof is in the pudding, if you yeah. will. <laughs> that yeah. They, they, clip, they are the number one lingerie brand in the world. That's insane in a very short amount of time. And right. so part of what we do in this experience is, is like, you know, until you actually understand that, oh, this is something I actually like, it's a thing and it's something I need to be looking for. It's like even the awareness of that. Then you go out in the world and you're, you're in the back of your mind, you're like seeing and sensing where are those paradigm shifts, those cultural shifts, like, then how can I sort of take those and weave those together and create a new opportunity for myself or my company? Amazing. Fascinating, fascinating stuff and all very heady and um, <laughs> no, but all necessary too. And things that we need to get used to. So it was like, thanks for that real world um, example. And, you know, I happen to have some connection to that, you know, from our nation and Rihanna's. So, you know, I love that too. Um yeah. I have one question I ask everyone that comes on here because of the relevance of, you know, you're giving all this great advice to women, but, you know, we don't always get served that. Um, so what is the worst advice you've ever received? Okay. I'm going to share two things. Um, first, don't take risks. Was terrible advice, especially for me when you consider what I do for a living. That's pretty surprising to actually have received that. And, you know, I hear it presents itself in a lot of different ways, whether it's don't try something new, your idea will fail, don't rock the boat. And I think related to that is the second piece of bad advice is sleep on it. Right. And I think. <laughs> Why is that bad advice? I think sometimes people make really rash decisions. Well, they do. And context matters here as well. But I do think there is something to be said about trusting your own instincts yeah. and trusting, you know, especially when you've arrived at a place where you really know who you are, um, you know, the wisdom that comes, you know, once you get to a certain point in your journey where, you know, just actually listening to your gut instinct in a world where we are saturated and inundated, especially with, as women with advice, I do think there is something to be said for just trusting your gut. And I can't tell you how many times I have reflected afterwards in a situation like that, where I'm like, my gut was right, actually, on that um, big decision or, or small. And so I think it's important to remember uh, to do that. We, we have it. And it's a very, very True. useful tool. Trust your gut. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Amazing. All right. If people want to find you, women want to hire you, people want to be you, how do they find you? <laughs> yeah. So um, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, 
backward slash Regan, R-E-G-A-N, Robinson. Um, or if you'd like to learn more about what I've got cooking for next year, you can actually go to um, www.intuitiveforesight.com slash lady business. And there <laughs> is a special uh, opt-in form that you can fill out. And so as I make announcements um, of new experiences and offerings, some of the stuff that we talked about with sketching the future, um, you can get added to that list and um, we'll be in touch. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on here. It was amazing and lot to think about, literally. <laughs> um, for everyone listening, please like, subscribe, tell us who else you want to hear from. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.